Hi, this is Ricardo, pastor of Journey Church Ventura. Thanks for taking the time to listen to our podcast. Hope you're having a great week. We hope it's life-giving and life-changing. Take care. You remember that movie, Left Behind? It's a crazy movie, and it's a crazy thought to watch things like that happen, but um, don't let that alarm you. Because my assumption is you're ready. Yeah? Are you ready? Are you ready to go? <laughs> I've heard of crazy things happen in church where, you know, they had like rapture practice where you just kind of jump. And uh, you just kind of, you know, realize that there's a moment where everybody's going to go up. And uh, we might as well. But you don't need to jump because you're just going to disappear. Much like, at least that's kind of how it's imagined at least. Um, we've been in a series all summer long called Summer Stories, uh, the parables of Jesus. And today we're going to look at two parables that I think are critical to understanding about the end, about the end of the world, about the end of life, about the end. But it's really just the beginning at the end of this world. And then there's a new world and a new heaven and a, and a place where we're all going Um, If we've put our faith and hope in Jesus Christ, then we are guaranteed. There's a, there's a, uh, if you will, a ticket that you have already um, in your heart, in your hand. You're already a part of that group that's going to go. And the rapture is what they call it. This, This time where Jesus comes back to take his people home. Now that is not the end of the world because at that point in time, there's a whole nother series of events that are gonna happen. And then after that series of events, which is called the tribulation or seven years, then another thousand years of Jesus' reign is going to happen. And so there's a lot of life to go before um, all this kind of comes to an end where the devil gets thrown into the fiery pit forever and God reigns forever. And then there's a new heaven and a new earth. You looking forward to that moment? Yeah. The stories, the parables that we're going to look at today are much like all the other parables that we've been talking about. They're trying to give us a perspective of how to look at life from heaven's perspective. There's ways that, that heaven uh, lives, that if you were in heaven, you would live a certain way at peace with, uh, with joy. There's all kinds of opportunity to, for us to gain a perspective of how to think here on earth like heaven thinks. And that's what these parables are for. Jesus was always trying to give his people a perspective of the way life should be if heaven were on earth. And the cool thing is, is that because he lives in us, Jesus lives in us, his spirit lives in us, we get a chance to live out the very nature of heaven. And that's what this is all about. And so today we're going to look at the end. Do you, do you like, you guys like movies? I'm a movie, I love movies. I love to watch movies. Um, and sometimes there are movies that I'm so glad they ended. And other movies that you're like, oh, you know, let's get, I want more. Um, have you, you know, the, the end of movies is really interesting. Um, my most di- disappointing endings in a movie. Most disappointing endings in a movie. 
Um, have you ever seen the movie Champ or The Champ? I cried my eyes out. If you don't know what this movie is, it's about a dad who boxes and a little boy who just idolizes his dad. And, and, and this is a spoiler alert, so if you want to not know the ending, um, <clears throat> but dad dies. And there is a scene. He, he, I mean, he's boxing, he's boxing like crazy, and he's winning and winning. But, but then um, dad gets punched really hard, and um, the champ, dad, dies. And the little son, I mean, it is the most gut-wrenching, heart-wrenching. I know you didn't come to hear this sad story, but um, <clears throat> the, the dad dies and the little boy's, champ, champ, come on, wake up. And I'm like, it was the worst ending ever. Titanic. That was another bad ending. Come on, the guy floats into the water and dies? What's up with Jack? Now, if you don't like Jack, maybe that was one of the best endings that you've ever had. Have you ever watched the movie Seven Pounds by Will Smith? Let me tell you a little story about this one. Our family is traditionally, on, on Christmas, uh, we go and we watch a movie on Christmas Day. And we, so we go to the theater and we see, Will Smith, Seven Pounds, that's got to be a great movie. Come on, Will Smith wouldn't do anything or put anything out at Christmas time that's bad. So we go in... And we find out that this movie, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen it, spoiler alert, this movie is all about him giving his organs away to some good people that need organs, which is really cool, but he commits suicide. Terrible ending to this movie. And we're like, and we walk out of there going, Merry Christmas. <laughs> it was awful. It was an awful movie. Um... Of course, Sleeping Beauty has the, one of the best endings. You know, she gets kissed, right? That's a chick flick. Um, okay, so I'm going to share a movie with you, and I may lose my man card on this one. This is a best ending. Have you ever watched Shall We Dance with J-Lo and Richard Gere? And um, it's, I think it's one of the best ending movies ever. Um, and I think it's one of the best man movies because he makes such a great decision at the end of the movie. And it's like, I, I think all of us as men would like to make this decision for our spouses. And, he, you know, he, he he's loves dancing and he hides the secret from his wife and his wife thinks he's having an affair and all this kind of stuff. But he's really not having an affair. He's just loving dancing and learning how to dance. And, of course, J-Lo is the teacher of the dance and it looks like there's some kind of connection there, but there really isn't. He just loves dancing. But then at the end, he's given the choice to go and uh, go to J-Lo's party, where she's getting ready to leave to a dance studio in France or somewhere up there. And, and so he has the choice to go to this party and be with her and dance with her. Or he could, and his wife is working at Macy's or someplace like that. And what does he do? His, well, first of all, his wife finds out this whole secret, and, and she's like, you love dancing? I didn't know you loved dancing. And, and so uh, his wife buys him a tux and shoes and everything for this um, dance party that, that's for J-Lo, and instead he puts on the whole gear, and he goes to Macy's. And he dances with her right there in Macy's. And it's a beautiful ending to the story. Wouldn't you like for all movies to end that way? Wouldn't you like for life 
to end that way. But there's just this beautiful set of choices and these things that happen and, and it all ends really well. But in some cases, that's not the case. We live in a fallen world. We live in a troubled place. If you look at our world today, oh my goodness, it's crazy. It's crazy what's going on in our world today. And boy, I tell you what, I'm, I'm ready for the end. I'm ready for Jesus to come back. I'm ready. And, and a lot of uh, people who understand the Bible are going, man, this is a setup. This is a setup for the time and the, and the, the moment when Jesus will come back and take his people home. I don't know about you, but I'm anxious for a happy ending to a beautiful life. Whenever that ending is, we don't know. We don't know when it's coming. We'll talk about that in just a minute. But uh, it was the message of the 70s church. I remember growing up in the church. I grew up in a, in, a, in a Pentecostal church, and all I heard was, Jesus is coming, Jesus is coming. There was a movie called A Thief in the Night, and it just scared the bejeebers out of me. Just like left behind. I mean, it was that, it was everything. I mean, it was like, man, I come home and my mom isn't there, my dad isn't there. And I'm like, no, God came back. All this fear, all this stuff going on. And it was the big message in the 70s. Kind of trailed off in the 80s and the 90s and 2000s. We don't talk about it much. But um, Jesus made it clear that there's something we need to do to be ready for a happy ending. There's something we need to do, and we're going to talk about that in just a minute. But there is going to be an ending. Now, when I heard it in the 70s, the 70s were all about Jesus is coming back tomorrow. And I was told you can't play cards. Because if you're playing cards and Jesus comes back, you're staying. You have four twos in your hand. That's it. And I was told if you're in a movie theater and you're watching a movie then you, you, you're not going. And I love movies, even as a kid. And then it was really confusing when they put Thief in the Night in the movie theater. I'm like, do I go? Do I not go? Is this a trick? You know, what's going on here? <clears throat> There's an end. And that what, what's really interesting is all that preaching about the end really confused me because... Um, since then, I've lived almost um, probably 45 years, and Jesus hasn't come back yet. And it's easy to kind of go through this process and, and hear these kinds of messages and realize that uh, if, if, if Jesus is supposed to really come back soon, well, why hasn't he? What's taking so long? What, what is he waiting for? Why, why are we still here? And the, 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 there's a lot of answers to that question. Most importantly, he still wants people to get saved that are, sa that are not. And he's depending on you and me to do everything we can to reach those that have yet to discover God's love, grace, and forgiveness. That's the, the, the simplest answer to why he hasn't come back yet. So there's still people to be reached. There's all kinds of other opportunities that we could look at, but the most important is to understand that Jesus' passion, God's passion, is that all come to repentance, as many as we can get. And he's going to take as long as he can possibly stand it until that day comes when he says it's time 
to go get our people. What I've seen in these last 45 years, though, is that many of those same people that preached those messages, that talked about those things, that lived a Christian life, they've passed on. They actually went to be with Jesus before Jesus came back. And I think it's as important to understand that we need to be ready to pass away as much as we need to be ready to be taken away. We need to be, I heard one pastor one time, he, I, I think I've said this before, he was a, a pastor who had pastored his church for 20 years. He was diagnosed with an inoperable cancer. He knew that he only had about six to eight months to live. And he got up in front of his congregation. He said, for the last 20 years, I've taught you how to live. This next time, as long as I have my faculties about me, I'm going to teach you how to die. And he did just that. And he passed away. But he taught his congregation that he was on his way to heaven. And there's a good place to go. And it's full of hope. And it's full of excitement. And there's no need to fear the end. So what does the Bible say about the end of life and the coming of Jesus to take his people home? Let me say this. The way we view the end will affect the way we live in the now. If you fear the end, you're likely going to live differently than those that don't fear the end. People who don't fear the end are going to enjoy life a lot more than those that fear the end and are trying to gather in and protect and everything from, from experiencing the end. We talk differently. We walk differently. We live differently. We live with a different sense of hope. Why? Because we're not afraid of the end because the end is only the beginning. And so we enter into the context of a passage of Scripture in Matthew chapter 24 in which Jesus is explaining the end. We don't have time to go into the beginning of chapter 24, but we're going to start right at, at, at uh, verse 36. And Jesus is talking about the end of the world. He's having this private conversation with his disciples. He's gathered them together. Excuse me. And he's, he's explaining the very end of the world. But about that day or hour, no one knows. In other words, no one knows when Jesus is coming back. And if you ever get into that, that place or you get into a Bible study or you get into somebody teaching that they know, they're heretics. Just start there. As soon as someone says, I know when Jesus is coming back, I've got to figure it out. I've seen the moon, I've seen the stars, I've seen the planets, I've seen uh, the, my, my, you know, my tea leaves, I've seen all of that come together. Even the rice and the burrito tells me when Jesus is coming back. If that's the case, they're heretics. They're crazy people. They're not hanging on to the truth of, of God's word because Jesus makes it very clear. But about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Which is a crazy theological concept that we don't have time to go into. But this idea that Jesus limited his own knowledge to, to this very um, <clears throat> concept. Verse 37 says, As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they <clears throat> knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. 
That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding with a handmill. One will be taken and the other left. Therefore, and here's the key, keep watch. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So, so you also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. This is the first parable of the concept of, the, uh, of today. We need to understand, first of all, that as in the days of Noah, he's not talking about the evil days of Noah. He's talking about people living a regular life. We've grown so comfortable with the life on earth, we have stopped connecting with God. We've, we've grown so... And, and by the way, the days of Noah were evil days. So evil that God was like, no, nope, no more. Let's nuke this bunch and let's keep a little tiny bunch and we'll, we'll start over again. Let's reboot, reset, whatever you want to call it. And it was still a disappointment later on because Noah and his kids all had issues. Aren't you glad for God's grace? <laughs> we all have issues and he is a saving God. But as in the days of Noah, no one had a clue. No one understood. No one, everybody was calling Noah crazy. They're going to call you crazy when you talk about faith in Jesus and God and faith in, in, a, in a God who loves uh, you so much that he sent his son to die on a cross. Faith in a God who uh, you can depend on for your daily sustenance in life. Faith in a God who you can understand that he has promised you eternal life. And faith in a God that you've never seen before. People might call you crazy, but you'll be ready. You'll be ready when he comes back. And so the days of Noah are coming. The days of Noah might be happening even as we speak because people are marrying, people are living life, people are more comfortable with life than they are with the relationship with God. And that's what we have to understand. We can never attach ourselves so tightly to this place that we forget that we have a heavenly home right in front of us. That's why it's so important to stay on mission in the church. When the church loses its side of mission, when the church loses its side of its reason for being, which is to enter into the journeys of those who have yet to discover God's love, grace, and forgiveness, to make disciples of all nations, when we lose sight of that and we attach ourselves to this world, we tend to grow comfortable with the values of this world. Instead of the values of the kingdom, of sacrifice and serving and, and loving people, that's why next week is so important for us as a church to begin a culture of serving, to realize that, that there are days where we need to not be here, but out there doing everything we can to show people God's love. That's what it's all about. <clears throat> Therefore, verse 42, keep watch. Because you don't know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this, and this is the parable. If the owner of the house had not known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. That's kind of a, it, it's funny how Jesus uses kind of the ridiculous to make a, a very clear point. 
How many thieves come in and say, hey, I'm going to be there at three this morning? I mean, if you knew they were coming at three, you would have said, okay, at three o'clock, I'm going to have there my gun. I'm going to be ready for them. There's going to be glass outside all the windows. So when they step on it, it's like, ah! You're going to do all these security measures. You're going to be ready. But instead, how often do we just go to sleep? Not even thinking, not even imagining, not even uh, having in our minds that something might happen. But the thief is out there going, hmm, what's the most vulnerable moment? What's the most vulnerable time? What's the, and, and Jesus isn't the thief. Let's not, let's not uh, understand that, that uh, Jesus is making himself out to be a thief, but he's like one in the sense that he's not going to announce the moment, the time when the return is going to happen. When that rapture moment is going to take place. I think that the movie clip depicts it really well. Everybody's just going through life as normal. And then Jesus decides all of a sudden to take everybody home. We need to keep watch. We need to keep aware that, and keep our minds on the mission and realizing that uh, as soon as we are prepared and our hearts are prepared and we're doing all that we're supposed to do in relationship with Jesus, there's nothing to worry about. We're prepared. We're ready for his return instead of unaware. So how do we live? How do we, how do we act? How do we, how do we live this out? It says in verse 44, so you must also be ready how? By preparing our hearts, by preparing our home. In the, in the illustration, it's like, okay, if I knew that a thief was going to come, if I knew the thief was a threat, if I knew that there was some kind of threat out there, I'm going to do everything I can. How, how many, and you don't have to raise your hands, but how many people have security systems and all those kinds of things to prevent that from happening? You're prepared for that moment, right? What do we have to do in our hearts? What do we have to do in our minds? What do we have to do with our actions to prepare for the coming of the Lord. The next story tells us. Verse 45 says, Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom the master has put in charge of... of this is the next parable. I'm sorry. Uh, we're still in Matthew 24. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom the master has put in charge of the servants in his household to give them their food at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whose master finds him doing so when he returns. Truly, I tell you, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. So there's one servant, the wise servant, who serves all the way through until the return of the master. But suppose that servant is wicked and says to himself, my, my master is staying away a long time. And then he begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with drunkards the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and in an hour when he is not aware. He will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. There's, a, there's some severe consequences of being an unfaithful servant. There's two people here. There's the, the unwise and the wise. There's the faithful and wise, and then there's the self-serving and stupid. And there's two, two groups of people. And, then, and you can, I, I presume you want to be the faithful and wise. 
But Jesus' intent of telling the story is that when we are preparing for the coming of the Lord, we need to remain faithful and wise, not self-serving and stupid. We need to, to be prepared. We need to think in terms of, I don't care how long Jesus takes, I'm going to always remain faithful because there's a day, there's a time. And what I've learned is not just about his return, but our demise. We don't know that day. We don't know that moment. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm privileged to be a police chaplain, and there are many, many calls that I get. One o'clock, two o'clock in the morning, three o'clock in the morning. Hey, chaplain, can you, can you go to this location? Um, someone has passed away unexpectedly. And I show up. And the family is frantic. The family is, is disturbed. The family is frustrated. What happened? Why did this have to happen now? Why? No one planned on the passing of this individual. No one knew that it was this moment that that last breath was going to be taken. No one knew. And I know that sounds morbid, but this is the, the beauty of life in the sense that Jesus is in control of our timing. He's in control of our moments. He's in control of our, 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 our uh, beginning and our end. And when we embrace that, we stay prepared. We don't do the foolish thing and say, oh, it's, Jesus is taking a long time. I don't need to live for Jesus right now. I've got plenty of time. If that's the approach we're going to take, we're in trouble. If that's the approach we're going to take, then we are going to struggle with the whole idea of, of when Jesus comes because we're going to live very differently. We're going to live relaxed. We're going to relax our, maybe we'll relax our morals. Maybe we'll relax our, our readiness. Maybe we'll relax our passion for the lost. Ah, I got time to witness to him. I got time to witness to her. I don't have to do that now. And what Jesus is making very clear is that we need to remain faithful and wise. And when we do, we never let our guard down. Let me read one more story to you, Matthew 25, verses 1 through 13. And I'll read the entire story and then come back to it real quick. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like. That statement is so important because we've heard that several times in these parables, that the kingdom of heaven will be like. This is the way it's going to be. This is the way it is in heaven. And this is the way it will be on earth. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins, virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. There's a theme here, foolishness and wisdom. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil and jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, Here's the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. No, they replied, there may not be enough for both of us and you. Both us and you. Instead, go to these, those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with them with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Verse 11, later the others also came. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. 
But he replied, truly, I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch. Because you don't know the day or the hour. I think the story really says all it needs to say. There's a couple things I'd like to point out. And the first one is, just be ready. Don't stop being ready. You can't over-prepare for the coming of Jesus. Yes, you can go hide in a mountain. You could go do some crazy things that people do. And that's not the intention. The intention is for us to be faithful now. And as long as we are faithful, as long as we are prepared for the coming of the Lord, there is not a thing to worry about. For those of us that like to live on the edge, those of us that like to get comfortable with the world, those of us that like to snuggle up next to, ah, I got time, I, I don't have to worry about this discipline in my life of reading the Bible or prayer or church going or whatever, we don't have to worry about those things. It's those people that are, are, are walking that edge that's very, very dangerous. And I'm, I'm not preaching fright because I don't think there's a need to fear. But I think there's very much a need to understand that what Jesus is explaining here is simply that we need to be faithful, and that is the preparation. Being prepared is doing what God wants us to do. He tells us in the first, the, the, the two managers, one manages like the, the owner of the, the the property is going to come back tomorrow. The other manages like he's not going to come back for years. And so he, he decides to, to manage irresponsibly. The one that thinks he, that um, the managers or the owner is going to come back tomorrow manages well and continues to manage well. And when he comes back, he's rewarded. All we have to do is be faithful. Faithful with what you have. Faithful with what God has called you to do and called me to do. As long as we are prepared, then preparedness is one of those things that cannot be shared. That's the second point in this passage with the ten virgins. We cannot share our preparedness. It's up to each one of us as individuals. You can't live off of my salvation, and I can't live off of yours. You can't live off of my, you can't live off of my anointing, and I can't live off of yours. We can't share oil. That's the point of this message with the ten virgins. All of us have a responsibility to live as individuals in faithfulness to God. That's why it's so important to be where God wants you to be and to do what God wants you to do and to speak the words that God wants you to speak and to give what God wants you to give and to, to use your talents. There's two more parables that we don't have time to go into, but the power of this simply is, is that if we are prepared, we are going with Jesus. That's the, that's the beauty of it. That's the beauty of the story is that if we will just do everything that God has called us to do. And I'm not saying when you make a mistake, oh boy, you're on your way to hell. I don't think God lives that way. I don't think, you know, we parents don't treat our kids that way. God doesn't treat us that way. We learn from our mistakes. We get up and we move on. If you're doing something that you shouldn't be doing... Ask Jesus to forgive you, and he will. And move on. Let's grow. Let's become the, the people that God wants us to be, and let's do everything that God calls us to do. And as we do, we will not find a shut door when the trumpet sounds. 
when the bridegroom comes and he announces his presence and he says, I'm here to get my people. It's not going to be a moment where you're going to like, oh, no, the door is shut. Oh, come on, God, let me in. Won't be that. You'll already be inside. You'll already be enjoying the party. You'll already be in the presence of the Almighty. You'll already be celebrating your salvation. You'll already be experiencing everything that God has for you. Why? Because you have remained. We have remained faithful. We've done what it, do, it, it takes to prepare our hearts to love God, to serve Him with all our hearts. And when we do, there's nothing to worry about. For the first time the other day, we heard these big loud roars and booms and things coming. Fun, come to find out it was an air show at uh, the Camarillo Airport. <clears throat> And we hadn't heard those before. Just big rumbles. First time in my daughter's life. And she's, she's grown. She's, she's an adult. But I, I felt the same way a little bit. After all the activities in the world, I was like, she, she said, Dad, it, it concerns me to hear these noises and think that we could be being bombed. This world is upside down. Dad, what's going on? At the moment, I didn't know it was just an air show. Those weird thoughts come into our heads, and we kind of think, what's going to happen? We'll have to suffer. We'll have to go through all kinds of crazy stuff. The, the Bible doesn't paint the picture that the world is going to get better. It's going to get worse. It's going to be hard on Christians. I believe that process has already begun. But I believe that there is never a time where we have to fear any of that because God promises that he will always be with us. He will never forsake us. And that when he does decide to come, we're going to go with him. Yeah. So what do we need to do? We need to be prepared. And prepared simply means to be faithful. Faithful in our relationship with Jesus Christ. Faithful in our relationships with each other. Faithful in our relationships with um, <clears throat> this world. And doing everything we know to do that God has called us to do. Pray, read our Bibles, serve, serve the needs of other people, take care of those around us. And when we do, and, and more, most importantly, share the message of Jesus Christ, and when we do, when that trumpet sounds, when Jesus comes, we are going with him. And I want to ease the tension. I think Jesus makes it very clear. All we need to do is keep watch and be prepared. And when we do, we get to experience heaven in its fullness. Lord, I come to you today and I pray for this a group of people online and on site that your Holy Spirit this very moment will raise our confidence in knowing that when you do call us home when you call us home either in as we pass away and we take our last breath or when you come in the rapture Lord there's neither of those moments are to are to be feared because you are in in charge of the timing you're in charge of our souls and you will take us home to heaven 
because we are prepared, we are faithful, we love you, we thank you, God, that you are the one who is, is keeping our hearts uh, clean and pure and holy and righteous. We thank you for the cross. We can never earn our salvation. We can never do anything to uh, earn our way to heaven, but we can remain faithful to guarantee that place in heaven. And I thank you and I praise you and I give you glory for that. And Lord, I pray for those that live in that tension of fear, live in that tension of concern. Lord, help us just to remain faithful and there's nothing to worry about. Help us to remain in the hope of the cross. Help us to remain in the hope of the resurrection, that there is an eternal life waiting for us, that there is a moment where we will experience the beginning of life after this life. We thank you and we praise you for that, God. And I pray right now for every person in this room that you solidify their thoughts about you in relationship with you. If you're here today, I want to make one thing clear. You don't earn your way to heaven. This isn't about earning our way to heaven. People who love Jesus, who give their hearts to Jesus, who completely commit to him, pretty much do this automatically. Jesus was challenging those that were half in and half out. You can't be a half in committed person. And so if you're here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus or, or maybe you're questioning what you're going through in your relationship with God and, and you're not sure that you've made that wholehearted commitment, then I want to give you that opportunity. I want to give you that opportunity to say, Jesus, forgive me of my sin. Jesus, I believe that you were raised from the dead. Jesus, I commit to follow you and be faithful to you for the rest of my life. If that's you today, I want you to pray this prayer. You don't have to pray it out loud. You can pray it in your heart. In just a moment, I'm going to ask you to respond by filling out the connection card. But let's pray right now and say, Jesus, forgive me of my sin. I accept the work you did on the cross, and I believe that you died on the cross. And when you did, my sins were forgiven. My sins were atoned for. My life was bought back from the captivity of sin and now you are setting me free by forgiving me of my sin and cleansing me from every mistake I've ever made I receive you as my savior and Jesus I believe that you were raised from the dead and as a result I now have the promise of eternal life and I thank you for that and I receive eternal life in my life. I receive the fact that I am now a child of the King. I receive the idea that I am now going to live forever with you. And Jesus, I commit to follow you faithfully for the rest of my life. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for giving us the opportunity to join your journey. And I hope the message made a big difference in your life. And if it did, we just encourage you to go to journeychurchventura.com and let us know. Also, be free to share this message with your friends and family. We just love to impact as many people as we can. Once again, thank you for joining us at Journey Church Ventura.